Paul says, in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than a myriad of words in a ton. It's not so much how impressive the act is or how much you do, it's rather, does it build someone up? Is it useful? Is it beneficial? Following us from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona, reaching out with rock-solid hope in Rin Country, February 10th, 2019, 1 Corinthians 14, 12-20. A movie came out a couple years ago that was about some Lego people. And as those Lego people were standing around, there were some expert builders describing how they had achieved great feats and... One lonely construction worker was put on the spot to describe the sort of things that he'd imagined or built. And so he responded by saying, well, once I thought of an idea where I came up with a double-decker couch. It was followed by silence. As the experts looked at him, they said, that's the dumbest idea ever. And that idea is the worst. And later on in the movie, the antagonist also adds, a double-decker couch? If you're sitting on the top, then you'd have to climb down. Or if you're sitting on the bottom, then you'd have legs dangling in front of you. Who'd want to sit on the top or the bottom? That's the lamest idea ever. Of course, it sounds like a fun idea or an impressive idea. I even tried to convince my wife that we needed one. I've seen them online. I thought maybe we could build one. Impressive? Yes, maybe. Practical? Useful? Perhaps not. See, it's not just important that something passes the test of being impressive, but it must also be practical, useful. Do we take that sort of a test and apply it to our service and use of our spiritual gifts in God's church? This morning we continue looking at what does it mean to be spiritual And this morning we focus on how to be spiritual means you build others up. If you were to go to ancient Corinth and to experience their worship service, you would find a lot of things taking place that we see in our worship today. Like us, they gathered for worship. Like us, they had the reading of scripture. They celebrated the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And they had prayer They had exposition on scripture. And if you were to go to this particular church where Paul is writing to, it seems you would have found there were many gifted people there. People that had a gift such as prophecy or speaking in tongues or working wonders and miracles. Only if you went to that church, you also apparently would have seen the people in the congregation using their various gifts to impress others. Almost as if they were, as Paul compares them here, like children. Children standing on the playground comparing whose toy is greater than another's so that they could bring a great impression on those around them rather than be useful and build each other up. So Paul writes to them about the importance of not only having a gift, not only using that gift, but making sure it's put to a good use. One of those gifts that they were especially, it seems, misusing and boasting about was one of the more vocal gifts, speaking in tongues. 
It's a, a gift which is mentioned a, a few times in Scripture. Sometimes when this gift is mentioned, it's apparent that it's actually speaking as a, a gift the Holy Spirit gives to speak another human language. At Pentecost, they spoke in tongues to proclaim the wonders of God to the people in their own language. <clears throat> but at other times, it appears this gift of speaking in tongues also included, as Paul describes in chapter 13, the tons of angels, a heavenly dialect, which maybe only the person speaking understood, or maybe they only grasped in part. And so Paul says, if you speak in that sort of tongues, you, you pray or speak in spirit, but your mind isn't always fruitful. This sort of speaking, this second type, was the one that appears to be the one that was taking place in Corinth. People were putting on an oppressive display of their ability to speak in this heavenly language and they were bringing it into their worship practices. And so Paul lays down a principle. He says, Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Now Paul's not saying this gift of speaking in tongues is wrong. But he's saying what's important is that you use your gift in a way that is helpful to others. Paul says, in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than a myriad of words in a ton. Now this gift of speaking in tons, as Paul alluded to in the previous chapter, <clears throat> is not as prevalent today in God's church. The Spirit has not deemed it as important to pour out it is abundantly today in the church. Is it something that's suitable for worship? Paul gives us the answer. He'd rather speak words of prophecy, teaching, or instruction than something like speaking in tongues. The gift, he says, is good. He thanks God for it, that he can do it. But it's not helpful for others and therefore not suitable for worship. So the, the principles laid down. If you're going to gather with other believers and you're going to use a gift, is it to build yourself up or is it to build up others? And that's still something that the church needs to ask today, isn't it? If we gather for worship as a body of believers and we have various gifts and services, are we using them to build up others? You know, it, it can be easy, can it, for someone to get lost in what they're doing with their gifts or their service. Maybe we might begin to think that our goal in worship is to impress people. And certainly, one could do that, right? If the goal is simply to impress people that come into our building for worship and to help our guests be awed, we can know how to do that. You spend money, you get some dry ice, crank up the volume, get sound technicians, visual artists, maybe do what they did in the Super Bowl and get a couple flamethrowers. Dim the lights. There's a book for how to impress people. And you can do it if you simply put enough time and effort. And you can maybe even apply your spiritual gifts towards impressing people. But Paul says, what good is it if you're not building people up? And still for us in the church, this can be a struggle. Now, I understand how it is. As, as a pastor, it would be easy for me to say, well, I can help people see how great I am. And maybe I could spend my time sharing 
tons of lingo from parsing Greek or Hebrew grammar, and I could throw that out there so you could be impressed by my studies, or I could be a pastor that wants you to see my wit and my humor as I preach, and maybe by that you'll be impressed at, at me. But to tell the truth, my, my new self cringes when I hear someone say, he's a good speaker. But they don't say, that's an awesome God. Or maybe the, the goal of a, a Sunday school teacher could be something on the same lines where their goal is to help the children to see how smart they are or how wonderful and fun class can be instead of how wonderful and great their God is. And isn't that a temptation too for those who have musical gifts and other talents? Their old self says, here is something that will really move people. But their new self knows and says, I really hope people are hearing the powerful words and hearing about Christ and built up in him. The church struggles with that question. What is suitable for worship? As we struggle with a heart that wants to build up self instead of building up others in faith. And you know, sometimes it can even go to an extreme and be ridiculous. The church in the past has struggled with this as they did in Corinth and the church will always continue to struggle with this. Now, I can recall growing up that there were a couple churches that I knew of that in order to bring out their quarterly reports fully, they would publish each individual person and how much each household gave in offerings. Now, looking back, one could probably look at that and say, that is the worst idea ever. And realize that does not build people up, but rather allows people to be puffed up. Or perhaps it allows people that don't want to be built up and puffed up to struggle with everybody seeing their gift of giving. And still today, doesn't everybody who is blessed with the gift of giving have that small little desire that at least somebody knows how gifted they are in their giving? How many other gifts don't we struggle with? We want others to see our gift and to know what we have accomplished instead of to build others up. It can be a struggle in the church. The Corinthian Christians struggled with speaking in tongues. What do we struggle with? What do Christians struggle with? What do you struggle with for your service, your gift, and your pride? Thank God that when Jesus came, his goal was far different from ours. When Jesus came, he certainly could have impressed people, right? When Jesus, the Son of God, walked on this earth, he could turn bread or stone into bread. He could be one who could just walk on water and do whatever he wanted. Jesus could display power and gifts like none other before him. And he could speak with authority and wisdom never heard before. But that was never his goal, was it? Jesus' first miracle was something which nobody at the wedding banquet knew about. And quite often, didn't he tell those he healed and those he performed miracles with, didn't he tell them to keep quiet? And when Jesus did perform a public miracle, like feeding the 5,000, it was an act of compassion to help them to see what type of a man he was. Not an act in order that they might make him a king and praise him. And even as Jesus walked on water, or calm the storm, wasn't it simply not for his benefit, but to calm the fears in his disciples? Don't be afraid. Jesus, you see, did not come to impress, 
but actually to perform the most impressive act through humility. As our God came, the one that we are to point to, he came in full humility and hung in complete shame on the cross. And he hung in shame on the cross in order that he might take every boastful sin of ours and every hellfire that we deserved on himself. See, the, the greatest act, the most impressive act, is also the most humble act. It's the rescue of our God who came to complete his goal for us. And that God who lived for us, died for us, rose again, and proclaimed to his disciples, living once again, not to scare them, not to drive them to fear, but rather, peace be with you. Your sins are forgiven. Proclaim good news to everyone. This living Jesus, who came in all humility, is now the same Jesus who lives to pour out gifts on his church. By his Spirit, each one of us we talked about has various gifts. And each of us is to work together as a body and to use those gifts in love and to now use them for one single good purpose, to build each other up in faith and to build up others to know the goodness of Christ. So whatever gift we have, however impressive it may be, our God calls on us to use it, but to use it for the purpose he's given to build up his church. You know, there's a, a scene in a, one of the Indiana Jones movies. It's really kind of an iconic scene. Uh, there you have the actor, it's Harrison Ford playing Indiana Jones, and he's supposed to be going up against this expert swordsman. And they're in the streets of Cairo, and Indiana Jones is being chased by these goons. And when this swordman comes up, they're supposed to shoot a scene that the director thought would probably take about three days to shoot. And the man who was doing the sword work took months to train for that scene. But Harrison Ford was kind of getting tired of it all and thought the scene was kind of wearing on long and getting redundant. So he suggested, why don't I just take out my gun and shoot him? And so they shot the scene. The man came onto the scene and he twirled his swords in very fancy fashion. You're expecting to see a, a long whip-slashing, gun-slinging, sword-slashing battle. But then Indiana Jones just pulls out his gun and shoots him. The scene was shot in about five minutes. Done. And you know what? People probably enjoyed that far more than they would have enjoyed a long, drawn-out, flashy sword battle. That's what Paul's getting at here when he says, I'd rather speak five intelligible words in the church than a thousand words in a ton. It's not so much how impressive the act is or how much you do, it's rather, does it build someone up? Is it useful? Is it beneficial? So we see what it means to be spiritual. We've looked at that the past four weeks. To be spiritual means, one, you recognize a diversity of gifts. Two, you recognize that you're an integral part of a team. And three, to be spiritual means you, you use your gift with love, concern for others. And to be spiritual means you use your gift to build others up. Amen.